I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. If you have Shudder, then odds are that you've seen Superhost. If not, you need to fix that immediately. John and I can't urge you enough. Uh, Great, great movie. We're going to discuss the indie film in all its glory. And later, we have a special guest with us, the director of Superhost, Brandon Christensen. He's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. Now it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment where John and I discuss which strain we're getting wrecked on in each episode. Today, I have no idea what the fuck we're smoking. John, tell us. Oh, jeez. So, <laughs> I found an old grinder that's been sitting around for about three or four years and it has some ground-up weed in it. I don't have a clue as to what the hell strain it was. It was probably one of those, you know, where they tell you it's headband or, or sour D. <laughs> it's fucking brown, bro. I know. It, well, now it's brown. It wasn't brown when I got it. It looks like you soaked it in tea. <laughs> it looks like I got that uh, Four Fingers of Colombian Dirt Weed from Tom Matthews. <laughs> well, uh... I got a little surprise here. I got a blunt of it. What? Oh, my God. I got a blunt of it. Look, I I told you I hit this in my bong the other night, and I only packed it once because it just it kind of has no taste to a slightly bad taste. I can't. Whole blunt. <laughs> What's wrong? Why are you now you're making me second? I thought it was a good idea. Now you're making me second guess. Why, why is the blunt a bad oh, idea? Oh, man, I'm going to end up like, you know how, you know back in the day where you didn't have money and you had to you had to like resin hit your bowls and then you get a headache two hours later i feel like that's exactly what's going to happen with this <laughs> well you know we're going to smoke some fresh shit afterwards if it's that bad of an experience uh you know we're going to definitely smoke <laughs> we're going to smoke some good shit afterwards either way well, go ahead spark, man yeah spark, spark it up, up. L- light it up let's see how this goes what do you think uh, it really John's hitting the blunt right now. It kind of has like no taste. Oh, I'm getting a slightly bad aftertaste. <laughs> right when you said it doesn't have a taste, you follow it up with bad <laughs> There it is. It's harsh as fuck. All right, here I go. I'm going to hit it now. Here we go. You good? Oh, man. You alive that is there? not good. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Let me hit this. Hold on. All right. Here we go. Okay, so right away, I'm tasting the game. I'm tasting the black cherry game. Hold on, let me hit this again. You're right, it has no flavor. It has like a, oh, shit. It has a terrible aftertaste. It hits harsh as fuck. Yo, it tastes like fucking twigs. It tastes like twigs. <laughs> All right, look, we're sparked up. My man, are you out there just like, like you tasting twigs? Like <laughs> You told me that's that fucking shit we're smoking. Uh, look, we're already sparked up, dude. Let's get uh, let's get going. What's going on in horror history? This week in horror history. So uh, this week we got a lot of films celebrating anniversaries. David Cronenberg's Shivers, Silver Bullet, Black Christmas, Puppet Master, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, Yeah, yeah. Pumpkinhead. 
uh, The Fog, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, but the two I wanted to focus on from that list was uh, Black Christmas and New Nightmare. I praise Black Christmas, I, and you know how much I hate hate those fucking whatever they are called, reimagining, remakes, reboots, whatever. Whatever, yeah. I love Black Christmas. It's a lot like Halloween, even though Bob Clark tries to claim that John Carpenter stole everything from him for Halloween. But, I mean, there are some similarities, but like Joe Bob pointed out, the POV is... They're both the killer, but one's a guy getting into a house and hiding, and the other's a six-year-old child killing his sister. But, I mean, Black Christmas, it's also, again, not to continue, well, I guess to continue the comparisons to Halloween. It's a home invasion. It's a home invasion. There's really no motive. The obscene phone calls are hilarious. I I agree. I agree. I don't know if I would have really been as upset as the, at the phone calls as everybody else was, but uh, holy hell, dude, what a week this is! Like you just said, all those movies you just named off. I'm like, damn, like that's a lot of that. That's a that's a heavy list. Um, that's just good movie after good movie. Uh, but yeah, Black Christmas is such a classic. Uh, Bob Clark, uh, who later did a Christmas story, really tackled the holiday on both fronts here. <laughs> You yeah. know, uh, a Christmas story is one of the elite best Christmas movies ever. And then black Christmas is one of the best slasher films ever. And it's a Christmas movie. Uh, but here's the thing. I don't know if I ever told you this or not. Oh God, you're passing me this fucking blunt. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this story or not, but, uh, uh, the first time that I saw black Christmas, I actually didn't like it. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, I was so disappointed with it. I expected so much of it because like it kept getting talked up by everybody. And, uh, by by the time I saw it, I was I was like you know that's it, you know. Uh, but I think the problem was that I had seen it too late. I had already kind of gutted the slasher genre from back to front, and that was just one of those movies that I never got to. <laughs> supposed to um, wipe front to back though. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, uh, so uh, to go back to a movie where really like kind of nothing happens, like Black Christmas, I was kind of like let down. But then as the years grew on, I finally, you know, it finally clicked with me and I, I, I love it now. Uh, I've watched it every year on or around Christmas for the last seven or eight years. Uh, and I'm going to continue to do so. Yeah. Black Christmas. I, to well, it has John Saxton from a nightmare on Elm street, but, uh, my favorite character in the movie by far is Margaret Kidder as Barbara. I feel like she's easily the best character in black Christmas. You know, I'm terrible with names, but I, I actually think that my favorite characters in the uh, movie would be the police officer that's always fucking with the other dude. Remember the fellatio scene? That scene cracks me up every <laughs> yes. time. I forgot about that just until now when you mentioned that. That was pretty good. You know, I got this goddamn blunt, man. Like, I'm, I'm over here drinking the greatest soda ever, Pib. And, uh, like, it's not even washing away the aftertaste of this fucking... No, it's really weird because like I'm hitting it and I'm not tasting anything but the wrap, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't have a taste. And then again, like you said, that aftertaste creeps up on you, and it just tastes like I'm smoking like the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has like a smoked wood taste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a knowledge nugget: uh, Black Christmas was filmed in 40 days. What a 40 nights as well? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so here's here's something I wanted to ask you though: What do you think of the Bart Simpson skin in the remake? Do you like it? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like anything about anything after the original Black Christmas. I mean, I appreciate. Oh, this blood. I appreciate I the. Uh, I appreciate the uh, 
the remake, the original one, the 2006 one. Um, That's better than the They tried to do something with it, and honestly, I'm not... Look, I'm not going to try to bring up Rob Zombie's Halloween on purpose here, but it's just a good example. The, I appreciate more what Black Christmas did with the story than what Rob Zombie did. Like, if you're, I feel like that origin story, it still wasn't great, but it was a better origin story for, I think, Billy. Like, you know, they they, they did the same thing Rob Zombie did. They gave a backstory to a character who had no backstory. It's funny. I was going to compare that and not be any kind of judgment on Rob Zombie, but I was going to say it was a lot like the Halloween one where it was like, but also, I feel like both of those movies are better without a backstory. I, I Well, I think that that's, now that we've seen the backstories, you know, I think that we can agree that that's true. The movies are better without them. Sometimes you don't need all that. You don't need the gaps filled in. And uh, to jump over here to uh, New Nightmare. And uh, I know three's your favorite of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Where do you have New Nightmare? Yeah, New Nightmare is probably my third favorite. In my top three of the Nightmare films, uh, Dream Warriors one, the original two, and uh, New Nightmare three. That's my three. I think those are the. If I were doing like I do it often, like once a year at least, I'll do like a Nightmare on Elm Street marathon, and those are the three that I'll put on. The only like time that I won't put them on is when I realize like oh shit, it's been a while since I've seen like two and four and five, you know. So I'll uh, you know I'll go back and watch those. You know, I was thinking it's kind of funny. Uh, well. I have New Nightmares as my favorite. I said that when we talked to uh, Vincent DeSanti. I have New Nightmares, my favorite. Uh, but it's funny. When I go back like, and think about of uh, you know Chucky, Jason, Michael, and Freddy, the overall series of a better series of movies, I would say, is probably Nightmare on Elm Street. 100%. But that's the one I watch the least. 100%. I said that with Sam. I said, well, part of it is that there's not as many movies as there are um like halloween and friday the 13th so like even like literally i think uh sam uh, actually my wife broke it down um on a calculator like the percentage of like what's good and and uh nightmare on elm street heavily won like it won like completely over halloween there's just there are some that are bad but like there's not that many so like the ones that are good they're they're really good and i think there's more good ones than bad ones whereas with with friday the 13th I love them, but I, you know, obviously that's not how everybody feels. And with Halloween's, they're definitely all the sequels are not all good. Like out of the Halloween movies, I would maybe four movies. I would pick maybe four movies out of that one. You know that I think are like really actually good movies. With Nightmare, I'd say after the fourth one, minus New Nightmare, that's where the cutoff is. But there's also a lot less, and it's. I feel like. Uh, nightmare on elm street after three just it's slowly declined until new nightmare whereas like if you look at halloween like it just becomes a sharp drop off in the quality yeah it was a like halloween one was up there but it's funny because it's also after four but yeah yeah but yeah halloween was up there and then two was like okay not as good but okay it was good enough to keep us invested you know like it was a good movie and then three which we're talking about today just kind of did the just kind of, you know, crashed. Uh, that was it. And then uh, they came back with four. And, uh, yeah, it just, the series was never the same. The series was never the same. But, you know, uh, like Nancy says, every kid knows Freddy. He's like Santa Claus or King Kong. And she's right. Uh, New Nightmare rocks. I, I don't like the trench coat, though. I've told you this before. I cannot get behind it. I can get I behind the glove. It. Look, I can get behind the glove and the sweater and the leather pants even. I can get behind the leather pants. I can get behind the rock star pants. But I can't 
back that coat. Freddie just looked silly to me, like a poor dark man, a poor man's dark man or something. But yeah, top three, top three in the series for me. Wes, Wes Craven really made sure that he put the nail in the coffin with this one. It's a cool concept, and he and he mastered it perfectly. But his, I feel like it's by far the best makeup job on Freddie in New Nightmare. I. Agree. I think the best makeup job on Freddy is Freddy versus Jason. So I think in the Nightmare series, I would agree with you. But uh, overall, I think Freddy, in my opinion, Freddy looked the best in Freddy versus Jason. That's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. Favorite scene in the film? In, in New Nightmare? When he's dragging Julie up the wall. Say hospital scene, yep. Ever play Skin the Cat? <laughs> Worst scene in the film? <sighs> Mine is when Dylan... It's like C looks up and sees him like Freddy's like faces in the clouds like that. I, like that's, that. No, I, I, that, I don't know. I think it was one of those things where like it's it was a cool idea, but it, like the effects it just was it, it would be done better today. But I yeah I think it just that looks dated and the movie otherwise doesn't look dated. It uh, it's funny like I'm trying to think of like when I think of like worst scene I'm thinking of something that stands out bad and nothing really stands out. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the only thing I could think of is maybe Dylan when he's, like, standing on top of the, like, jungle gym or whatever, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. just, like, reaching towards the sky. Maybe that, but I feel like feel like I agree with you. Wes, Wes did a great job with New Nightmare. Well, um, actually, while, while we're here, though, I do want to bring up Cronenberg's uh, Shivers. You know, it's not his best film, but, you know, that film put us on the path of what's later to come with them or what was later to come with them. I mean, and, uh, it, it's not a bad film, but shivers and rabbit are definitely like low level works in comparison to what Cronenberg became. They're still very good and enjoyable films. And, uh, did you ever see silver bullet? Uh, yeah, I love silver bullet. Oh uh, yeah. I was going to say, I grew up with silver bullet. Same. It's weird. It was the, like one horror movie in my fat in my like house growing up that, my dad loved it. My mom liked it. My sister loved it. I love so like that was never like an argument if like somebody flipped the channel and Silver Bullet was on. We're like, all right, just leave it on. Right. Well, here's the thing. Like everybody who I know. Okay. So look. So I remember. You know, I remember a lot of nights watching it and uh, you know watching it on TV and on VHS mm -hmm. back in the day. TV, just TV for me. I don't. I don't. We. I'm never sure it was it. on TV for me as well. I'm sure. I mean, I just remember watching it. Like it was on a lot and. Uh, but I don't know why, but it seems like a lot of people slept on it. And, and in all actuality, it's actually one of the best werewolf films ever made. Like, every, I've turned three people onto it, three friends who now love it. And one of them says it's their favorite werewolf film now. And all three of them said to me that they don't know why they never watched it. Um, and and I, that was what I was just about to bring up to you was like, yeah, I feel that everybody who has seen it loves it. But there's people who haven't seen it, and I feel that I've talked to a lot of people who haven't seen it, and they say, like, oh, I thought it was going to be dumb. So I don't know. that I've looked trailers up. I don't know what the production was or, I mean, like, what the uh, promotion was that, like, you know, the studio put out for that film, the promotions. But I don't know. Maybe it was marketed to look dumb, and that's why a lot of people haven't seen it because people have said, I thought it was going to be dumb. That's why I never saw it. But then as soon as everybody watches it, I hear, oh, my God, it's amazing. Yeah, I. it's funny. <sighs> It is one of the best werewolf movies, but even myself, like sometimes I'll forget about it. And then like you bring it up and it's just kind of one of those movies you remember what, well, I, I guess don't remember watching a lot, but you watched a lot as a kid and you kind of forget about it. And then somebody brings it up and you're like, oh yeah, I mean, the cast is good. I mean, Gary, Gary Busey is, is He's good in it, and he's usually, like, sometimes way too over the top. How did I know you were going to bring up the Busey? I mean... The Buse. I mean, I would love to talk to Gary Busey. I feel like it would be an amazing time. 
I'm not going to disagree with that. Especially, especially if we're baked, <laughs> or if we could get Absolutely. Gary Busey baked. Oh shit, that would be. <laughs> um, okay, but uh, Corey Hames in it as well. Yeah, yeah, and he was he did that was he did a good job. He was a good kid, a good child actor for sure. And Stephen King wrote it. Like I again, I don't know why like kind of people forget about it. Yeah, you know what's crazy? It's actually uh based on the novella Cycle of the Werewolf. Yep. Um, and uh, I found that at the farmers market like several years ago, and I read it, and I couldn't believe how much better the book was to the movie. As much as I grew up on the movie, it was one of those things like with Halloween, I always say to you, I don't think that a horror movie is ever going to surpass it. It was hard for me. I was like, the movie probably, I knew there was going to be differences. There's always differences from, from page to screen. But I was like, I didn't expect it to be like better. And I was like, holy shit, the book is, the, the novellas. It's like a, the one that I have, I don't think all of them are like that, but there's illustrations of like the werewolf and stuff. It's, it's really cool. And it's not a long, a long book at all. But what do you feel about the, uh, the werewolf? A lot of people say that it looks like a bear, but I still think it's intimidating. Yeah, I've... It was, I mean, he was pretty scary looking. I don't think it looks like a bear. Yeah, people have argued that it, like, it looks like a bear, and I'm like, I can kind of see it, but like, that's definitely still a bear that I would run from. No. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned Cronenberg. What's your favorite Cronenberg film? Okay, so that's that, that to me, that is a, uh, that is a hard question because... I've said this before. There's like on paper, if I'm doing, if somebody asks me what's Cronenberg's best film, that's different. That's a different answer than what's my favorite Cronenberg film. My favorite Cronenberg film by far is Videodrome. That is the most Cronenbergian film. You know, I love that movie. I but fucking I, love Videodrome. James I, Woods hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, James Woods smokes too, I think. I, be, I believe James Woods smokes. Am I wrong about that? I don't know. Either way, get on here, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, my other um, Cronenberg, like I, the, the Cronenberg film that I think is actually his best film is by a landslide dead ringers though i prefer videodrome and i would watch videodrome like more times dead ringers is an amazing fucking movie but it's like like uh it's like schindler's list it's one of those movies so heavy that like you, you watch it once in a blue moon and it's a great watch but you just like you kind of don't come back to it and it doesn't come up often when you want to watch his movies because it's like you don't always want to go that deep you know like a lot of his movies are more visual like videodrome but uh yeah man that those are my that's my answer now it's time for Puff Puff Ass, the segment where Drew and I answer questions that you send us through Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HighOnHorror420 and through email at HighOnHorror420 at gmail.com. Yo, man. Puff Puff Pass. <clears throat> Alright, so you'll be glad, John. Right now, I have packed us a bong of some good green to make up for <sighs> that. Thank God. <laughs> uh, if right. this tastes like the other shit, man, you better get your money back. <laughs> no, no, no. Trust me. This isn't four years old or anything like that. <laughs> um, I'm going to start us off here with a question from a listener named Troy from Dayton, Ohio. Did we did we answer a question from somebody in Dayton before? We might have. Uh, dude, I have no clue. <laughs> well, uh, it's he, all a blur to me. He asked a good one that... Uh, I know my answer is kind of going to be kind of basic, but it definitely gets the imagination going. Troy asks, if you guys could take one horror character and place them in any movie, what would it be? And my answer is that I would place 
the Evil Dead's Ash Williams and Freddy versus Jason. Think about that. If that happened, think about how awesome that would have been. Uh, there actually was a six-issue comic book series called Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash back in uh, 2007. But still, just I just think, you know, putting... The, just pluck Ash right out of, like, Army of Darkness or even Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah, Ash vs. Evil Dead, do old Ash, and just drop him right in Freddy vs. Jason. That movie just... Right in Crystal Lake. <laughs> yeah, dude. And But, you know, the, the overall turnout for Freddy vs. Jason is negative. I feel that if you dropped Ash in there, it would not have been negative. I mean, who doesn't want to see Jason with the machete or Freddy with his claw fucking fighting the chainsaw? I mean, the boomstick ain't going to help him a whole lot, but he got that chainsaw. He can deflect shit. He can attack him. I mean, he could literally cut him up. Yeah, we know who would have won, Ash, but uh, seeing him face off against Freddy and Jason would have been great. And the uh, one-liners? Yep, that's what I was say. The one-liners would have been fucking nuts. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good choice. Uh, one, I mean, I thought of was Leprechaun and a Child's Play movie. I yeah, mean, I got to thank yeah, Linda Porco cool. for that as like maybe a team-up movie. <laughs> well, you, it could be a sequel to The Ash. He could have his whole series where he just fights different uh, horror villains. He could fight Leprechaun and Chucky. You imagine him just cutting or shooting Chucky? Oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be pretty uh, amazing. I'm kind of cheating because that's like two, but... Uh, Another one on a more serious note here I thought of is Dr. Loomis in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Oh, man, that's It kind cool. of fits. He's a psychiatrist. You imagine if him and Nancy were, like, working together to fight Freddy. So, like, I'm baked. But am I, am I, am supposed, am I, am, like, because either way, this is cool. Are we plucking Loomis out of Halloween and, like, he's, he's t- yeah, taking care of Freddy as well now? Like, he's yeah, he's on coming the out of case. Halloween. He's going in. He's helping Nancy. Okay. Uh, I mean, so we're not going like he never worked with Michael. He was just a nightmare correct. character. Just, he just, yeah, that'd be amazing. That'd be fucking he's taking awesome. On, he's, he's getting overtime. I mean, he would not show up in fucking Jason's neck of the woods, though. Because, motherfucker, you would have to shoot him 6,000 times and it still wouldn't work. You imagine, I shot him 6,000 times! <laughs> you don't know what death is. <laughs> no, I don't think Loomis would fuck with Jason. But Nightmare on Elm Street, man, like, he's a psychiatrist. He, I mean, I feel like you could even add more to his character of him just, like, investigating the whole Freddy thing. And with him being a good actor, it would actually add an element of, like, good acting to to those movies it's not necessarily just dr loomis although i almost said that only he played him i like that's the way i like to remember it uh (laughs) i agree though i agree but uh yes i'm talking about specifically the donald pleasance dr loomis the only dr loomis (laughs) yeah and i mean can we take characters out of a movie if so can i take michael myers out of rob zombie's halloween oh my god who would you put in replace of him that's rob zombie's problem just get michael the fuck out of here <laughs> just make some movie about halloween i think no if uh, that, that was what i was gonna say if halloween if it wasn't halloween if it was a different movie i think that uh i'd appreciate it a lot better i just don't appreciate it because it's not the michael myers that i know and and grew up and loved over the years so uh yeah we'll get on to our second question for a shit on rob zombie even more uh, Graham from Woodville, Florida wants to know which version of it we liked best, the 1990 miniseries or the It and It Chapter 2 version. I know for me, I I know a lot of people don't agree. I like the movies better. I feel like the adult version was handled much better. In the 1990 series, the kids were really interesting. And then when they got to adults, even though you have people like John Ritter and you have some decent actors, it just... It was an all-star cast. 
it was wasn't, a good cast. It wasn't interesting. I feel like as the adult, where I feel like it chapter two, um, I did care about the adult stories, and then I mean, and again, it's an all star cast of people. You have uh, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader. Um, who else was in part two? Uh, I'm, well, Bill Skarsgård's back, but. Yeah, I mean, you ha- and James McAvoy mm-hmm. was in it. That was what I was going to say. Yeah. I was trying to, I was trying to, I knew there was somebody else big in there, but, uh, <laughs> don't say it. I'm Move not going to say it. Move I'll just on. continue on. But anyway, I like it chapter two better. I mean, I always feel like just with it, just none of the endings were satisfying. Like I felt, I felt real. I would this, agree with th- that. I would agree with that. This one was better than the giant spider. But it's just, I don't know. They kill it, but it, I don't know. It just feels very anticlimactic in, in all of them. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you that uh, It Chapter 2 is superior than the 1990 version uh, with the adults. The adult version in the 1990 version does fall flat. Um, I feel that it isn't exactly... Um, it's not so much better in It Chapter 2, but you get a bigger piece of the pie and it's truer to the story. And I do feel that there is more character development. Um, that was the thing with the 1990 version was it just kind of felt like it was like, just like one thing after another, after another, after another, it didn't like have a pace. And that's what really hurt. It was like, you needed those moments besides, you know, um, what Ben hugging, you know, Bev, and then it turns into Pennywise in the mirror, you know, like you don't really get many moments in that movie or series rather where it's like, um, getting to know the characters it's more just like they had a history and now they're back together and it's go 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 yeah you kind you kind of get their backstory as kids but then when they're adults you kind of they're just wherever they are in life there's really no explanation exactly and yeah so i'm gonna go with it chapter two and uh i'm gonna also say that i i you know go ahead throw uh throw heads of lettuce at me throw bottles of water at me whatever i think tim uh i think that Tim Curry is a great Pennywise and did a great job, but I think the Bill Skarsgård is superior. I feel that his uh, he's a, he's a better physical actor, yeah. and I feel that he looked better and he was just a more overall scarier clown and more intimidating clown. Um, I, I hate that when people use CGI against it and say, "Oh, they had to use CGI." Of course they did. He turned into a big fucking giant spider, and like he does all this other shit. Like mm, I guess Bill Skarsgård ain't that good of an actor. Yeah, right. It's like it's like it's, a CGI is is good to be used as a tool, and I don't feel that those movies relied on it. There was a lot of them in those movies that aren't that isn't CGI that's practical. So, you know, I I like those. I mean, uh, it still is a supernatural clown. So I mean there's going to be CGI in it. The CGI and everything, and especially a clown that can transform or an entity that can transform. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I'm going to agree with you. It chapter two wins. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of people seem to kind of shit on Bill Skarsgård, but like him and it's him and Tim Curry is kind of like Jack Nicholson from 89 Batman and Heath Ledger from the dark Knight in 2008. They're both very well played, but there are two different interpretations of the character where Heath Ledger's is more like the, the anarchy part and Jack Nicholson's more like it's still the vicious crimes, but it's more the comedy aspect to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't argue that. And it kind of almost goes with Tim Curry from 1990 being the more of the, like joking it. Yeah versus bill skarsgård where like he'll joke with you but like it doesn't last long 
Yeah, I agree. And Any uh, Savage, the fucking... <laughs> I'm not real enough for you. I was real enough for Georgie. I was like, damn... Yeah, he goes he goes hard in the in that movie and in both movies and the thing about him is that with Tim Curry's Pennywise, I feel that he just from a, from the distance, I'm like, yeah, I'm not fucking with him. He's ugly looking, and even if he is funny, he's just. Oh, is there a clown looking motherfucker? Yeah, he just he looks he just looks wrong, and that's where the uh, Bill Skarsgård Pennywise differs because he looks sweet and innocent from afar. You can actually see the appeal like that clown with a balloon offering a kid a balloon. I totally get it. Tim Curry. Hell no, but him, I get it. So then when he turns it on and turns into like a monster and eats you, that's just pure evil because it's just pure deception. Like they're like Tim Curry almost knew that he was intimidated. He kind of like had this like sarcastic air about him. Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise didn't. He had like this like almost childlike, attitude and you know mentality yeah i mean he horrified those kids in the house as uh, when the in the at the end of the first one. Oh yeah 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 i like the refrigerator scene when he when they're on the house on kneebolt street and he, yeah, comes and he out of the crawls out and then like goes limbs straightening yep, out yep i like that and when uh was it was it richie yeah it, it went into the room with the clowns yeah yep and there was a Tim Curry, Pennywise. Yeah, yep. And then uh, he sees like a doll of himself, and then Pennywise jumps out of the cast. Yeah, like, yeah. That was a great scene. That was a great scene. Um. All right. Well, yeah. I guess we're gonna move on here. So don't forget to write uh, into us at uh, High on Horror four twenty on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or you can email us at High on Horror four twenty at gmail dot com. Um. Write us. We love hearing from you. You know, uh, last week's episode with Stacy Nelkin got us a lot of uh, inboxes. We got we got a lot of messages. Uh, you know, last week, yeah, thank you all from the bottom of our hearts. Like all those uh, messages telling us how hard you laughed at things. Uh, there there were a couple that were kind of heartfelt, and it's it's really nice to know that we're reaching out to people or that we're reaching people rather, and that people are actually listening and that this show means something to people. So, thank you. Um, uh, we really love hearing from you. So please write your questions and serious questions, dumb questions. Just don't ask us if we're submissive. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. Write to us. We want to hear from you. Thank you all for listening so much. Uh, now it's time to get into our review slash discussion of this week's film, Superhost. Superhost is a 2021 film that's available now on Shudder. And if you haven't seen it, stop the episode here. Go watch it. Come back. It's an amazing movie. It kind of feels in the vein of Creep, if any, if you've seen that, which is available, I still think, on Netflix. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's written and directed by Brandon Christensen, and with their follower count dwindling, travel vloggers Teddy, played by uh, Osric Chow, I hope I said that right, and Claire, played by Sarah Canning, pivot to creating viral content around their most recent super host, Rebecca, played by Gracie Gillum who wants more from the duo than just a great review. Man, Gracie Gillum kills it in this movie. Oh, she's so good. Like she like She kills it pun intended. The movie's good. The movie is like really good up until her being in the film, but when she she comes in the film, you just know like right away, okay, the the movie just went up levels. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not enough good to to say about her role. She just it's it's over the top but it works like she's just like 
super cheerful, but you can tell it's all just a facade. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, it just kind of turns, I mean, she's great again in that role. Like she, she, there, I can't think of anything bad she did in this movie. I agree. I think she stole the show, and uh, I think that you know that the movie overall is filmed very smart. It, it, it was filmed very well, um, at low cost with high production value. The acting in the film is is honestly it's well done from everybody. It wasn't just Gracie Gillum, you know, like everybody did a good job, you know, like like you said. Oh, for sure. And I mean, like Sarah Canning. Uh, playing Claire. Claire is such a bitch. <laughs> she is, man. She really is. Like the fake proposal thing. Like what she like does the proposal. Like what she thinks the proposal's just for like just just to get views. That pissed me off. I was like, damn, you are heartless. But I mean, like even Teddy was doing it too. But at least, like I feel like his wasn't as egregious as hers. But the way she like grabbed the camera after he does it, they're like, "Do it again, do it again." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It holds the camera in his face and is like, "Oh my god, react! Oh my god, this is the craziest day of my life." And I'm like, "Oh man, like this dude's like he's uploading videos of himself like to everybody, like how he's gonna secretly propose, and like that's what happened." She turns it into like a publicity <laughs> stunt. It's it's uh, that's heartless, man. Um, yeah, and, and everybody, like I said, everybody did a great job of acting. They all complement each other well. And uh, Barbara Crampton is in the film. She has a small bit part, but it's a great part, and she does a great job. Um, it's always great seeing her. She looks great in the film. Um, yeah, everybody had good cre- good screen chemistry, even when she was in the film. Uh, yeah. Barbara Crampton had good screen chemistry with Gracie Gillum. Like they they uh, they get together well. Um, but uh, yeah, as you mentioned with Creep, I uh, I, I can totally see that. Um, yeah, I can totally see Creep in uh, in Superhost, especially after. Uh, you know, speaking to Brandon Christensen about it because that, uh, when he said that immediately, I started thinking of, of movies like Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon and Murder Party and Man Bites Dog and movies about psychos being recorded. And I, it got me thinking and I'm like, I don't think there's been necessarily a movie about a, a killer or a psycho being recorded like on camera that that's been bad or i can't think Airbnb of a bad one host killing people <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah super host it has it has it's suspenseful and it has good kills and the, the gore how about the gore it's not overly gory but it's definitely gory yeah for sure and uh like, like i said with with brandon uh with this movie it's predictable but it's not like I know what's I'm watching. And I go, okay, I know what's going to happen. And then something gets thrown in and I'm like, oh, okay. They're not going that way. Wrong. Right. They did go that way. You just subverted me for like a minute here where I was like, oh, okay. They got me. That's not going to happen. Oh, damn it. I knew it was going to happen all along. Yeah, here you go. It's like, it's like the scene in the typical cliche horror film when, um, somebody like is like you're expecting the person to close the mirror and somebody's going to be standing behind them and then like they close the mirror and nobody's standing behind them but as soon as they turn around somebody's standing behind them except it's done more cleverly or it's more clever or 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 like they'll bend down and the mirror goes out of the view i just moved away from the mic but i was saying you know like 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 when they bend down and they go out of view of the mirror then they pop back up and they're behind them. Yeah, yeah, and, and, but, but it's like this isn't. I'm not. I'm not denigrating the movie for that. I feel like it's really well done. That's what I'm saying. It, it take. It does that, but in a more clever way. It's not. We're, we're, there is no mirror 
you know trick in this movie it's just, this is just we're just talking about examples but it's it's a it's a it's a trickery of you know you think some things are going to happen and then you're like oh it didn't happen and you're like damn it did happen but you're you're actually like pleasantly surprised because it's not cliche and it's not something you've seen a thousand times and i mean i don't think uh rebecca had the appropriate uh, response back to how these people treated her, but I can get why she's not happy with them. Yeah, I but mean, yeah, she a creepy motherfucker though. She's got <laughs> cameras everywhere. Yeah, when uh, when the cameras when when she starts responding through like the cameras, like talking like on the intercom, I was just like, oh, this movie's gonna be like crazy. Like this chick is. Like you knew she was batshit right away, but when you you're like, oh wow, this is gonna get deep. You knew like right away with that. And and Teddy and Claire are not the brightest fucking people. Like you, she's already at this point made it aware that like she can hear everything because you stop talking and she responds immediately to him. Yet they still keep openly discussing out loud about how weird she is and how like they don't want to be around her like at that point i feel like i'd be like let's let's just text message each other <laughs> yeah like it's like the breakfast scene like when uh you know osric comes down and uh she's making he's in his underwear and rebecca's making breakfast like after she leaves they're openly talking about like how weird it was and like laughing and i'm like she's she's listening you know like she's listening and it's it's funny because like uh as I said, like you almost find yourself rooting for Rebecca at the end because like these people just make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And like, and, and it gets to a point where you're like, you know what? Like they become unsympathetic. Like you're kind of like maybe, maybe not to that level, but like you're kind of getting what you deserve. Like, yeah, well, I guess to me, I think it's kind of unsympathetic. It's well, it, maybe that's a little hardcore, but I mean, I know what you mean. Like, they I get mean, what it they just have gets to a to point them. where you're like, you keep doing dumb shit. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Like, like you um, haven't learned anything. Yeah. Uh, like, like the part like you know there there's a scene clearly like we won't give the whole movie i was gonna away. say we'll cut it off we but, yeah. we can get into spoilers i think here if you haven't seen it like like like, like stop here i feel like we could talk about like uh, we're gonna spoilers. go into it okay yeah. um yeah so the scene where rebecca's turning away and uh you know they're good to go home um and osric says to her you know what happened to the the couple that stayed here before us Oh, and that that's I, when the movie shifts immediately names. i know i i uh is it yeah i can't uh i cannot remember the names now to save my life and i've seen the movie twice <laughs> yeah. um but uh but yeah um is it betty lou i think it's betty lou betty and, betty lou. and lou yeah yeah but um, uh, yeah i think the thing people can roast us if we're wrong but i think it was she went by the name betty lou and but the male that she found was for Betty and Lou yeah. and whatever their last name Correct. was. Yeah. When, when, when Teddy, Teddy and Claire are clearly free to go after, um, she even tells them, go ahead. That's after Rebecca tells them to go, they're clear to go. And Teddy feels the need to provoke her with what happened to Betty and Lou. 
And right when that happens, that's when the mood shifts. Because I'm be like, you know, you're waiting for it the whole time, would, and then you're like, you dumb son of a bitch. Yeah, well, immediately like, I was like, what the fuck? Literally, just leave. Just, it's just like it is just a mur- it's just a massacre at that point. Really, it's just them getting. It's just the the rest of the the small crew that there is just getting picked off one by one in a matter of like the last few minutes of the film. Yeah, and like, you know, the other thing that annoyed me is Claire. Was it clear it had the... F- no, Teddy had the fire poker. Like, that dude annoyed me. Like, he had a fire poker. She has, what, a knife? <laughs> yeah, he has a yeah. fire poker, it's twice. And yet she just walks up and stabs him and he does nothing. Like, I was like, I was like, yo, I would have held that out. He had the stairway. Just, like, poke that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Teddy Teddy wasn't a... Teddy was a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, but- I mean, just, yeah, like... It- as we were saying, like, they're just so unsympathetic that, like, it's funny because Rebecca somewhat, I feel like, acts like the audience at that point and says to him, like, you couldn't just leave? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and if anything, if you think about that, you know, she's crazy and probably killed two people. My idea would be get the fuck out of there, go to the cops, and then let them handle it. Like, yeah. It, it, it ain't like, my job to investigate. I'm going to mind my own business. Agreed. Whatever and, and happened to Betty and Lou, like, the cops get the fuck out of there. Out. Get the fuck out of there. Like, it was right when he said that, the mood, like I said, the mood just shifted, and that's when it goes downhill, and you're just like, that that to me is when they become unsympathetic because i'm like y'all were like scared to get out of there and then you have the chance and now you're gonna stir some shit up again like none of your business get the fuck out of there like you said that the cops figure it out so at that point when that's said it's literally like a like a, a forehead slap moment where you're like you dumb son of a bitch so here we go and uh yeah i i just that to me is why i said unsympathetic because i'm just like that was a really dumb call and you get they got what they asked for and it's funny because like that's what i didn't think about now that was all that other one where i'm like okay well clearly they're not going to go and then i'm like oh okay and then still i found another way to like trick it back into no they're not leaving because yeah. you're like yeah. oh she she's gonna like do something to stop them from leaving oh she's letting them go and i'm like well she's gonna do something and then Teddy opens his fucking mouth, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Okay, now they really are going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and I I just I was totally taken aback by it. Honestly, you know, Shutter's been giving us a lot of good stuff and letting us watch a lot of good things in advance. You know, and uh, you know, I, we appreciate all that. And you know, Superhost was one of them. And with you know our day to day lives and everything else that we've been asked to watch for everybody, um, you know, like Superhost almost fell between the cracks. And that's why, you know, we felt it was important to dedicate an entire episode to the movie because, you know, when I watched the movie, I was holy, like, I was like, holy shit. Like, it's this, really good. Yeah. I was like, this movie is really fucking good. Like, it's really good. Like, I honestly look, it's a small indie film, and I'm sure that there's more snooby, snobby, snooty critics out there who are going to be like, oh, well, you know, this wasn't done this way or that way. But like, look, I'm being straight with you as a movie fan. And I'm not kissing ass because we talked to the director. I just, I don't really have anything I can pick apart about. I really like the movie. I was going to say, like, I would give it like an eight, eight and a half. Yeah, like, like it's, it's a solid fucking movie, man. Like, it really was like, holy shit. It's like, an enjoyable watch. And like, like I, I don't, I, as we're talking now, like, I kind of want to watch it again. I, I really wish that it had a, a bigger, uh, you know, shit, promoting campaign because uh, I really wish that like, you know, more eyes need to see this movie. And, uh, that's the thing, you know, like, that's the thing about indie films. They don't get the, uh, they don't get the promotion budget 
that like Christopher Nolan films get, but uh, that's why those you know the indie movies last longer because they're not seen by force, they're not seen by commercials and by billboards, they're they're seen by word of mouth. You don't just like get talked into the something. Views, the views pile up, yeah, over time, yeah, as you, opposed to like you're seeing something that you're kind of just force fed as to like hearing like hmm, this I'm hearing this is a good movie, and yeah, and uh, yeah. Versus like your typical summer blockbuster that it gets all its views in what three four weeks, with with these indie films you just you have people talk about it, then you have like people like us that might mention, then somebody else hears about it, then they mention it to somebody, and uh, they just kind of pile up over time. Yeah, like movies like House of the Devil, the House of the Devil by Ty West. I and love that movie. Hatchet by Adam Green. You know, and we like uh, Ty West and Adam Green here. Ty West and Adam Green, yeah, they're they're the great examples. Uh, Behind the Mask, of The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Love that movie. Um, like all of these movies are indie films, and there's so many more. Like if I wanted to take the time to just list, but there's just those are just great examples of movies that they're popular as hell, like a decade or more after their release. And it's because of word of mouth. It's not because they had the, the Hollywood budget to put billboards up and have a commercial every two minutes on Fox or CBS or whatever. Like, it's no, like people down the line saw the film and recommended it. And then that's the film that people are still talking about 20 years later. And I really hope that that's the case with Superhost. I really hope that because this is one of those movies that I feel that anybody can enjoy. Like, look, I, right now, if my wife was sitting home with like her girlfriends, I feel that they would enjoy that movie because they'd be cracking up. Gracie Gillum. I feel that if, if it was me and you or any other couple of dudes, you know, having some beer, smoking some bud, watching a movie, we would enjoy the shit out of it. I just, I don't see, I don't see a downfall here. I really, I really wish that more people would watch this movie. All right. I hope everybody sees this fucking movie. I really do. And not to say the movies are at all similar because they are not at all similar, but I was thinking like, it's a violent movie, but it's also funny, and I feel like to compare it to uh, your poster up there, Ash versus Evil Dead. Again, the story's nowhere near similar, but they're both super gory. Ash versus Evil Dead, more, but it's just it's gory and it's funny. Like Nicole's not into gory stuff outside of maybe like the Saw movies, but like she liked Ash versus Evil Dead, even though that movie or the TV series was so bloody and just gory. But it was hilarious because Bruce Campbell gets gets you sucked in, and Gracie Gillum is Rebecca. Like it's the same way. Like she's a sadistic motherfucker, but like she's also like you're just like you love her. You kind of love like, her in a weird you're way. You're just weird. Yeah, but she's it's, it's like her quirkiness is so adorable that you're kind of like oh I like her, but you're like but she is psycho. She is psycho. I'm a super hoe. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I, I think that um. Yeah, I, I, uh, I I'm looking forward to a physical release of this movie. All the Shutter films, Same. all the Shutter films have uh, releases eventually, and I forgot to ask Brandon about that. <laughs> but you know, um, I, I really hope that, that there's a, a nice release of that coming out. Um, yeah. So, uh, do you have anything else you want to contribute? Nah, I think we can get into burn and learn. Cool. And uh, that's the segment of our show where we fill you in on some behind-the-scenes facts about the movie we're discussing, and in today's case, Superhost. Oh. Hmm. Learn and learn. Uh, first off, I want to thank, we want to thank, Brandon Christensen for uh, emailing us 
these facts uh, that we're going to list here for Burn and Learn. These are exclusive to our show. These are not found. These are not going to be found on IMDb or probably anywhere else you look. Uh, okay, let's start. During production of the film, there was a beetle infestation causing a ton of delays while filming any scene in front of the house. They swarmed sunlight, so they had to make a hallway of flags just off camera when shooting outside to block the actors. Otherwise, the Beatles would have landed on them and ruined the take. Also during production, the real homeowner had to come and fix one of the toilets. They told him not to worry, but he still wanted to. Speaking of toilets, the dumb joke, at least it was just a number one, was used by Brandon Christensen when dealing with an Airbnb host and was part of the reason the film was created. There were several scenes reshot near the end of production because Claire's character early on was written to be too hard. They filmed new scenes to soften her up and let the audience in on where she was mentally earlier on. The glowing eyes were not in the script. Neither was Rebecca waving. In the script, Teddy sees a figure and waves and it doesn't wave back. But because of the nature of filming, they shot them on different weeks and Brandon Christensen was concerned that they wouldn't be able to see Rebecca very well in the darkness, so they added the eyes and said they could decide later. On early cuts, people liked the eyes, so they were left in, even though it doesn't really make sense. About a week before they delivered, Brandon's wife said he should lose the eyes and regret it, and now it's become one of the biggest talking points of the film with people. The script was written for another house in the same area. It was a modern-looking house, open concept, when the pandemic hit, the owner of it stopped responding, and they almost canceled the film or moved the shoot to Canada. But a friend whose family owns a place up there offered their place up and let them shoot there for cheap. Superhost had a crew of six and a COVID safety officer, which you're aware of, if you're aware of movie sets, that's barely anyone. Compared to his other films, it was probably a quarter of the size of other films. Months after the shoot, they had to shoot some pickups, including the dead body of Lou and the cat. Brandon actually had to had his makeup done and bought some old people clothing so that he could play Betty. They filmed it, but he was the one on the ground dead, so he didn't see the footage until he got home and put it into the film. Had he looked on set, he would have realized how wrong it was and maybe could have fixed it. Instead, the payoff of the dentures, the payoff to the dentures. Uh, his mouth was supposed to be wide open, and you would have seen the visual effects show no teeth. Never happened. The proposal location was a total fluke. They had permitted another area near a nearby ski hill. It was a solid 45-minute drive for the crew and would have been kind of a nightmare, and it wasn't nearly as pretty as the final location. During the first week of shooting, Osric and Sarah went behind the house at lunch. A three to four minute hike directly behind the house, they found that location and they showed Brandon and the crew photos and they realized they could bail on their permit and just run up there and steal the location. It was way easier and better. All right, well, now let's talk to Brandon Christensen himself and go deeper into Superhost. Our guest today has produced horror films such as It Stains the Sands Red uh, and the creepy horror flick Z, which he also directed. He's done visual effects on those films too, as well as The Pale Door and VFW and a whole lot more. And he's, direct he's the director of Superhost, the film on Shudder that everyone is talking about right now. 
Welcome, Brandon Christensen. Thank you for being on High on Horror. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Okay, so I'm going to start off real quick with this. Um, you're on High on Horror, and you worked on two Joe Bagos films, uh, VFW and Bliss. Are you a smoker? <laughs> no, uh, I'm not. And actually, do you know it's wild? And I didn't know this until I worked with him, but his name is Joe Bigus. It's Bigus. <laughs> wow. It's Bigus. Yeah. I, I found because I'd been calling him Bagos for a long time. And then when I, when I was working with him and Josh, Josh was like, you know, he said Bigus. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? But yeah, totally. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's Vegas, which was which was really weird. But no, I do not. I do not smoke. But that is funny. Yeah, uh, I just saw that you had done, uh, you know, work on uh, VFW and Bliss, and I had listened to a commentary on VFW, and he had mentioned how he's always smoking blunts. And I swear to God, I swear to God, it was like I think that uh, he was passing a blunt during the commentary. So I was like, you know, I don't know, maybe you know, I thought maybe. <laughs> I, I yeah, I definitely wouldn't be surprised for sure. Uh, so I got one. All right. So what made you want to, want to, uh, get into producing and doing visual effects and filmmaking? Um, well, producing like with it, it stains the sands red. Um, thanks. Uh, it was kind of just an opportunity that presented itself. And, you know, I'd done a bunch of short films, uh, commercials, music videos, things like that. But uh, when Colin and Stu, the Vicious Brothers back then, <clears throat> when they were, you know, they were they're trying to do this this little zombie film, and it took place in Las Vegas, where where I live, it was just kind of one of those opportunities that I jumped on, and you know, just tried to say like, hey, let me help you make this, and I kind of dropped everything to to push uh, t to sort of give myself a taste of you know, kind of the feature fi film uh, uh, life, and, and that led to my first film, Stillborn, where I got to direct. So, um, producing is just sort of, um, you know, something I've always done. Like I've always produced my own, uh, shoots and stuff like that. Cause when you're doing a lot of low budget stuff, um, you know, there's just never any money to actually hire someone. So, uh, it, you know, just getting into the producing side of things, uh, was just sort of the, 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 the clearest way into getting into features really. And then, uh, with like visual effects, um, it, it was just another one of those things like it was a necessity, you know, like I, I would shoot stuff and I just never had the money. So I had to try and figure out how I could do certain things. You know, it starts with like green screen or something like that. And then you're doing um, screen compositions and you're doing, you know, painting out things, rotoscoping, whatever. Um, it just kind of becomes an extra skill set uh, in your toolbox that you can kind of lean on when you're working. Um, well, uh, which do you prefer more doing visual effects or directing? Um, I mean, they're totally different. It's like, it would be like, do you, you know, do you, cause like directing is such a all encompassing thing, you know, it's, um, it's, you, there's so much prep work. There's so much visualization beforehand. There's so much communicating on set and just sort of, you know, working with actors and working with your crew and everything to get sort of your vision on screen. Whereas with visual effects, um, it's kind of like an isolating thing. You're just sort of sitting on a computer and you're just doing it. It's more similar to writing because you're just kind of alone. And I mean, if it's my own film that I'm doing VFX for, like I'm the client. So there is no like, you know, I'm not talking to anybody. I just sort of do it. Do I like it? No, got to fix it. Um, when I'm doing something for other people like Aaron Koontz or, or like jo uh, Joe Begas and stuff, uh, it's, you know, there is still, you're, you're kind of like working for someone. So, um, it can be one of those situations where like you do it and you think it's good, but they don't. 
And so you have to kind of like work and figure out that. So, I mean, directing, you definitely have the most control over things. So I, I would say directing is, you know, that if I could only do one path, that would be it for sure. Well, yeah, you're you're definitely on on a on a on a roll, man. You're definitely on a roll, you know, with your visual effects and with uh with the films that you're directing. And uh, speaking of visual effects, I wanted to ask you. Uh, I have to bring it up because VFW is just such a badass fucking movie. Um, can you tell us any cool stories about like you know being on the set of that film or working on the film? I I was actually brought on later. Um, like we, typically with the VFX, they'll be editing the film and then they'll need certain things done. Like I worked with them on Bliss first and uh, they had, you know, five or six shots that needed some paint outs and stuff like that. It was it was a pretty small thing, but um, they had already shot VFW when that happened. So I was they were like, hey, we got another movie that's, you know, we're just about to lock and all that stuff. So uh, we're, we're, we might need more stuff. And so they came to me, um, you know, shortly thereafter and they had. Uh, I can't even remember how many shots it, it was probably 10 to 15, but, uh, they just had sort of certain things that needed to be done. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was just, it's, it's nice to sort of, you know, become friends with filmmakers like that because they are constantly working. So you do have those opportunities. Like they have another film that they're working on right now, and I'll probably have a chance to do a little bit of VFX for them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, typically not something that I'm, I'm involved with from the beginning, unless it's my own project. Okay. Okay. Um, have you seen VFW though? I'm assuming that you're a fan, um, since you've worked on it. Cause I mean, dude, that movie's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool. It's definitely, it's totally a Joe Begas film. Like it's uh, done in his style and, uh, you know, and that's what I like about horror is that there's such a difference in you know certain filmmaker styles like if you watch z or stillborn or even superhost and then you watch something like bliss or vfw there's just a clear tonal style in how we do things and so i think it's it's pretty cool that you know i think horror is so so broad in that sense that you can have those two and you know still kind of uh be in the same genre yeah i agree uh it was definitely a horror film but i loved that it was like it was still like a a nod to old school exploitation films you know, so that was that was totally. one of the things that was really cool about it. <clears throat> All right, so uh, let's get into talking about uh, the reason you're here, though. Let's talk about Superhost. Uh, what was your inspiration sure. behind writing that film? Um, when I had f was uh, doing the film festival circuit for Z, I was staying in an Airbnb in Toronto, and uh, when I got there, the toilet wasn't working, so I had to text the host, and you know, I had to go through this whole process of getting something as simple as a toilet to be plunged. And so, you know, I had, I, I hit up the, the host, he had the security people that work downstairs, go up and check the toilet. They couldn't fix it. And eventually he had to go out and buy a plunger and come and fix it. And it was just one of those situations because the whole process with that place was automated. Like we're not supposed to meet there's codes on the doors very much like super hosts. Um, and you know, I just, I had this weird conversation as he's plunging a toilet that, I peed in and it was just like, it was just so awkward. You know, it was like the most awkward small talk you can have, like total strangers weren't supposed to meet and he's plunging my pee. <laughs> um, and so I, I just sort of left that conversation just sort of, you know, with that sitting in the back of my head. And then when I, when I saw the film creep, I, uh, I was just like blown away by the idea of a serial killer that is completely charming and lovable. And so I sort of took those two ideas and I combined them 
and just sort of, you know, I wanted to have my own kind of Joseph type character that could do horrible things, but because they're so affable and they're, they're funny and, and all these things that you might, you might really like them. So that was kind of the, the seed of the idea. And then it, you know, kind of developed into the social media part as well. Well, um, what I, uh, it's funny that you mentioned creep because, you know, the creep one and two are, are great films. Uh, John and I are both huge fans of those. And now that you mentioned that I can totally see, I can totally see like the, the, the comparison. Um, what I took away from watching Superhost was that, uh, people are so fake nowadays, you know, just to be popular that when they're genuine, people don't believe them. It's kind of like a viral version of the boy who cried wolf in a sense. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, I think that's a really good way of putting it. Uh, the, you know, just that, that idea of just no one knows who anyone is. No one knows how to experience a genuine moment. Like the whole proposal sequence is just two people that don't know how to just put a camera down and just enjoy each other. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the thesis of the film, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's just, you know, it's just an extra layer that, you you ultimately want to get to the psychopath stuff, but to get there, you kind of need to spend some time with some characters and and figure you know figure out who they are and whatnot. But yeah, that I think that you totally nailed it. Yeah, and uh, speaking of other uh, characters, the cast in Superhost is amazing. Uh, Sarah and uh, Osric do fantastic jobs. I hope I said his name right, Osric. Um, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, honestly though, uh, <laughs> yeah, Osric, uh, yeah, it's all good. Uh, honestly, if I have to, if, uh, honest though, um, I think that, uh, Gracie Gillum absolutely steals the show. Uh, she's on a whole new level. She's batshit crazy, but it's hilarious in that dark, you know, that dark humor way. What was the casting process? Like did Gracie audition or did you have her in mind to play Rebecca when you conceived the project? Um, yeah. So, the, I mean, with an indie film like this, when you have zero money, there is like the casting process isn't, you know, like a typical thing. Uh, we couldn't afford a casting agent or anything like that. So uh, we basically just went to friends that we knew. Like I knew Sarah Canning because I'd worked with her on Z and uh, friends of friends. And like Osric Chow was my friend's roommate um, at the time. And so I, I had kind of a direct connection there and we discussed it that way. And then like Barbara Crampton, uh, I had been in emails with her before just about some other different projects uh, that never went anywhere. So when I had this, I was, I reached out and she just sort of jumped on board. And then Gracie was actually the last person, um, to join the cast. And, um, I had been talking to some other actors and they just sort of were all booked. Like certain people were working on different things. And one actress, uh, Sierra McCormick, who was in BFW, she, uh, was working on another film that was shooting at the same time. And so she said she couldn't do it, but she had a friend named Grace, uh, Gracie Gillum, that would be perfect for the role. So I, you know, I reached out and, uh, you know, she kind of connected us that way. And we just sort of, you know, talked about this character and, um, she totally was picking up what I was putting down and she had worked with Disney and all this stuff. So I was just like, you know, I was just really struck by her because she's this very kind of youthful, pretty face. But, um, when you watch her Disney stuff, it's like that super highly elevated, elevated reality that she's doing, you know? And I was just mm -hmm. like, oh, that's totally what we need from Rebecca is just that like sense of, you know, similar to how Teddy and Claire are just like insane when they're on camera. We need to have someone that's kind of insane off camera. Um, and so it just sort of, uh, you know, really made sense. And, and you know, she came out and uh, kind of, you know, blew us all away. Well, uh, 
how much of her performance, Gracie's, how much of her performance was your instruction or direction and how much of it was her just making it her own? Um, you know, it's, it's tough. Cause I mean, now, now, you know, having edited the film and stuff like that, I'm so close to it. It's hard to say where she begins and the script kind of ends, but um, I think that what she brought to it uh, that differed from the script was just kind of a goofiness to it, you know, like uh, and, and a little bit more of an emotional side too. like with the, the, the interview scene that they have with her um, on the page. Uh, she was definitely a little bit more robotic with her answers and how, you know, she had those freezing moments, you know, where she's just it's kind of like uh, just kind of stops mid sentence. And what what she added to it was just sort of her eyes slowly kind of phasing into this more emotional kind of recollection going on in her head. And I think that was something that, you know, after we did it, we're like, Oh wow. Like everyone kind of felt bad for her on set. Like they're like, something happened to this girl that got her like this. And I think that on the page, it was just a little bit more mechanical. And, uh, you know, it was, it was almost like, I don't want to say the word alien, but there wasn't that just uh, emotional resonance happening in you know behind her eyes so um i think that plus just sort of the goofy kind of quirky when they first meet it's almost like a melissa mccarthy thing that she was doing um i think those kind of surprised us a little bit well uh yeah so her her performance was hilarious like i said and uh were, were there a lot of laughs on set i imagine there had to be a good amount of outtakes <clears throat> yeah i mean especially with her that was the hardest part really was um you know she would do a take and it'd be really funny but you'd be like, crap, I can't, you know, we can't really use that. Like it, where she is right now, she can't quite be there yet. You know, like if she's like making breakfast for them and, and she's like all like frazzled and stuff like that, that's where the humor is going to be. But when you've got some of these more like earlier on kind of moments where they're just sort of having, you know, chats before she's truly kind of weird. Um, it was just kind of finding the right tone where she could be slightly off, but not enough to, to like push them away that far because you really need to kind of slowly bridge you to the craziness. You know, you can't just go like, Hey, I'm Rebecca and I'm crazy. You know, it, it has right. to be, you know, a slow devolution into where she gets. So it was just kind of like, you'd get a great take, you'd laugh and you'd be like, wait, we need to like dial this down a little bit. Let's go to, you know, this, let's try this, whatever. And uh, even in the editing room, it was super hard because like there was great stuff, but we just couldn't use it because it was just either too much or too little. It was like finding that balance. Well, um, speaking of good actresses, uh, what's your favorite Barbara Crampton film? Um, Chopping Mall is pretty dope. Um, I think that's a fun one. I mean, I, I you know, I mean, reanimated is the obvious answer. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, I don't know. I think Chopping Mall is just like the, f it's just fun to watch. You know, I, Reanimator sure is fine. But I, I think that Chopping Mall just has this perfect 80s aesthetic. And it's just this bizarre movie and it has the best poster. And it's just, it's just kind of a fun ride. So I'll stick with that. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with you. Chopping Mall is amazing. It is. It's that, it's that 80s cheese, but it's just, it's still amazing. They just don't make them like totally. that anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Um, right. Well, uh, for sure. So how did you choose the house in Superhost that the film takes place in and where is it located? Uh, so we shot the film in Mount Charleston, Nevada, which is about like 25, 30 minutes outside of Las Vegas. Um, I had actually found a different house. It was much more modern and kind of open concept. 
Um, and I'd found the owner and, you know, we had talked about shooting there and everything and he was down. And so I actually wrote the first draft of the script around this other house. And then, uh, as like the pandemic was starting and everything, he kind of just disappeared on me. And I was just like, crap, like I, I didn't, you know, it's really hard to find someone that's willing to give you their house for a month, even if you're paying them, you know, it's just like, it's such a huge inconvenience that, uh, I was, I was really worried that we wouldn't be able to shoot the film or we'd have to go to another city or something like that. Um, and then I, I was just like blindly reaching out to fr uh, a friend that, um, I knew that had a place out there and I was just like, Hey, do you have any friends or anyone that, that might have a place that we could shoot at? And she's like, Oh, well, why don't you come take a look at our place? I'm here right now. And she took some photos of like that, the big living room window and, and all that stuff. And I was just like, Holy crap. And I jumped in my car and I drove up and met her. And I just sort of sat down with her and her family and I was just, uh, you know, talking about the film and what we wanted to do. And they were just like, yeah, let's do it. Screw it. And it was just like a total shot in the dark and, and, uh, you know, it worked great because the house was awesome. Yeah, it definitely is amazing to, uh, to look at, especially with those large windows. Yeah. And, uh, Superhost, uh, the movie is predictable, but it isn't, it kind of follows this formula, but you have these little twists that kind of make it its own movie. And there's scenes where I'm like, I know what's going to happen. Hmm. And it ends up happening, but not before you completely fooled me into believing that, okay, now it's not going to happen. Was right. that something that you consciously wanted to incorporate in the film? Um, yeah, I mean, audiences are pretty smart now. They've seen pretty much everything. I mean, when you're doing a horror movie or some, you know, something like that, like you look at the movie poster for this and there's a girl with three faces and two of them are bloody. It's like, you know where it's going to go. You know, I, I, that was one of the conversations we had earlier was like, how much do we want to lead the audience before they even see the film on this? Like, do we want to um, make the fact that she's bad the twist? And it's like, no, because, you know, audiences are going to get that. The moment you meet her, you're going to go, oh, she's crazy. You know, it's obvious. And I'm just, you know, it's just kind of like the creep thing. It's like the movie's called Creep. The posters, the creepy looking up the stairs. He's backlit by the porch lights. Um, you know, Mark Duplass is going to do something bad. It's just implied. And so I, I was just, you know, I definitely wanted to lean into that and just be like, it's not about her being bad or not. Everyone, it's just a ticking time bomb. When it happens, it's going to happen. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so so essentially what you're doing is you're just... I hate the term, but it's like you're subverting expectations as much as you can. So if you can set up something and then pull the rug out from under them, uh, I think you can do that. Because anything that kind of just like what you were saying, it just, you know, leads you into thinking one thing and then another thing happens um, on your journey to get to that point that they're like, you know, when you're watching this film, you're like, I can't, I want to see the psycho. I want to see the psycho. And when you've only got a cast of four, you know, you can only sustain that for so long. So you need to spend that first two acts of the film to try and kind of lead them, you know, make them guess a little bit before you ultimately get to the place that they were expecting. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's just kind of like putting yourself in the audience's seats and just wondering what they would think and trying to go just a little bit in the other direction, at least for a little time, you know? Yeah, and uh, you were talking about the creep poster with them backlit. It uh, kind of reminded me about the scene where uh, Teddy sees the glowing eyes out in the mm -hmm. wood. Is that supposed to be Rebecca, or is it just something that he's just... Um, <clears throat> so that's actually a kind of a complicated answer because of the way films are made. So uh, in the script, there is no glowing eyes. In the script, Teddy goes out 
sees something, he sees a figure, um, he waves to the figure and the figure doesn't wave back. <clears throat> now, when we shot the film, um, the first week we shot Teddy's side of it. So, cause we didn't have Gracie yet, but you still have to kind of shoot things. So you're always shooting out of order. So we shot Teddy's side, we shot him waving all that stuff. And then a week later, maybe two weeks, I can't remember which week we shot Gracie's side, but we, we were filming it. And my biggest concern, I was just like, the impact of seeing the figure out there needs to be immediate. Like you can't, you can't have a moment where you're like, what is he seeing? Oh, there it is. You know, otherwise the music cue doesn't, isn't going to work and, and things like that. So, uh, it was, it was kind of like, okay, well let's put something on her eyes. So we, at least we know where she is and then we can decide in post-production if it works. And then like even the wave thing, I, she had a radio and I was just talking to her from the balcony and I was just like, Hey, you know, give a creepy Donnie Darko like wave at the end, you know, and then she did that wave and I was like, oh, okay, that was cool. And then when I was cutting the film, I just sort of, um, I put in her wave and I pulled Osrix out and, and my main focus was just like, can't. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's like a broader conversation about technology and TVs is that I might be able to see it perfectly on my screen when I'm editing, but then I give it to someone, I give it to you guys, you put it on your TV and all of a sudden it's too dark and you can't see her shape or anything like that. Um, there's just like, it's a really hard to, um, to just like make sure darkness works perfect. So that's why I was just like, you know what, I'm going to keep the eyes in because at that moment in the film, you don't know anything. It's kind of in a vacuum. It, it, it works. It's a scene. It's creepy, whatever. But when you, when you step back at the end of the film, you go like, well, wait, what was up with the glowing eyes? And it's just like, it's just like, I, I, <clears throat> the answer is like kind of twofold. It's like one, you know, Sarah, <clears throat> Claire says, um, you probably just saw an animal. And it's like, when you see an animal at night, you can see the reflective eyes. Now animals don't typically wave. So, uh, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't originally part of it, but it was just such a creepy thing that it kind of just ended up staying. So like, I, you know, I don't do test screenings and stuff like that. We just don't have any money. So I show it to a few people and you get, you know, you know, you kind of gauge responses from that. And everyone was always like, oh, I really like the glowing eye scene. And it's just like in a vacuum. It's cool. So the decisions were kind of made in that vacuum. And you didn't, you know, and, and then and it sucked because like a week before I had to finish the film and deliver it to Shutter, my wife was like, you should remove the eyes. And I was just like, what? what? No, you can't do that now. It's been like six months. Like I've made that decision months ago. And now all of a sudden you're just saying that she's like, you're going to regret it. Just uh, pull them out. And I was just like. No, I can't. And so out of principle, just to be against my wife, I kept them in. And now it becomes a thing that people ask about. And she was right. And it's like, at the end of the day, the moment wouldn't work if the eyes weren't there, because I can't trust everyone's screens to show the same thing. So uh, yeah, it's a super complicated answer. Um, but it just kind of gives you an insight in one, how how uh, indie films are just like thrown together and it's insane and everyone's running around with their hair on fire. And uh, just that like, you know, technology does have, you know, an impact on on what an audience is seeing in a film like, you know, when when you're dealing with night, uh, you know, you know, David F. Sandberg, he's got that YouTube account Pony Smasher. He does a great essay, like a video essay called The Problem with Darkness. Um, highly recommend checking it out because he talks about how darkness in horror movies is like impossible to do because you never know what someone's watching it on. 
Well, I will side with you and say that the glowing eyes looked amazing. It's definitely the creepiest part of the movie. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, at, uh, sometimes I did not feel bad for our travel vloggers when they were in trouble. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to the level Rebecca quite takes it, but you can kind of understand her anger. Uh, Claire talks a lot of shit on her and is trying mm -hmm. to exploit her. Um, did you want to kind of have Rebecca be somewhat sympathetic in a way? Yes, for sure. And I mean, that goes back to creep was just like the, the challenge became, can I make someone kill the main characters and have you rooting for them to do it? You know, like that was definitely the idea going into it. And it's like, I mean, you know, there's a protagonist and there's an antagonist. And I think like on the on the surface of the film, when you're looking at it, it's like clearly Claire and Teddy are the protagonists and Rebecca is the antagonist. But I think as you watch it, it gets a little bit more muddled because you're watching, you know, you're watching Sarah's character, Claire, essentially want to use this person against her will or not against her will, but against her knowing really um, just because she thinks she can exploit her for views. And so I think that her decision to do that, whether her decision is, you know, justified or not based on like, she just wants to be able to take care of her and Teddy. Um, ultimately, she's just like, she, had they just shown up, enjoyed their vacation there and left, they would be alive at the end of this film. You know, it's because of the decisions they made to try and, um, you know, exploit this woman that led to their own demise. So it's like, you know, there, I don't think there is a, a true protagonist antagonist relationship here. It is just sort of like shades of gray. And who, who do you think, you know, uh, it's, it's definitely intentional that Claire is kind of the bad guy at the end of the film because of what she did. It kind of, uh, to an extent, has that feel of uh, the later, the Friday the 13th films, where the kids don't necessarily deserve to die, but they <laughs> kind of are assholes and you don't feel bad for them. Right, yeah, I mean, it's like Nightmare on Elm Street, too. Like, you don't go there to see what the characters are going to do. You don't care what these characters are going to do. You want to see Freddy kill them in interesting ways. And so it is kind of similar to that where like the villain is the the reason you go to. I mean, like Chucky, all, all the all these films, they're all just sort of about the 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 character that's been created and how they're going to dismantle these, you know, the the, the, the quote unquote protagonists. Um, so, yeah, it is a similar thing here. It's just like we, you have to set up these characters to fall at some point. The goal as a writer and as a director is just like to to make the audience not like sympathetic for them, but at least empathize with their situation and understand why they're doing what they're doing, you know? And, and so the whole, the whole goal of getting um, Claire and Teddy's channel to just sort of, uh, at, you know, you slowly rolled, pull back the layers and you, you, you know, they're not as successful as they portray themselves to be. They're bleeding subscribers. They can't pay their own bills. You're at least getting an insight into why they might make the decisions they make. That way, when it happens, you you get it, even though it's the wrong, you know, they made the wrong choice, but you understand it as a viewer. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just a, uh off the wall question here. The date on Teddy's phone says Monday, March 20th, and the closest year to that date is 2023. <laughs> was that done on purpose or was it just like a random date you throw in there? Uh, my birthday is March 20th. So I, I it had to be a Monday because they went there on a Friday. They stayed through the weekend. Um, but when I was just like, what date do I use? I just picked my birthday. So it's, it's something it's, it's like the alarm numbers, like the, 
the 2342, the code that doesn't work, those are two of the lost numbers, you know, 4815, uh, 2342. Uh, so that, that was one reason. And then the 8587 is my birthday and my wife's birth birthday year as well. So it's just kind of like, you know, stupid things that you just pull out. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, in your own words, uh, why do you think everybody should watch Superhost? I think it's fun. You know, I think there's a lot of horror movies that are very serious, very dark. Um, you know, my first two films are like that. They're very oppressive and they make you feel like crap. And I think it's fun to just kind of come out of summer, come out of COVID and have sort of like a roller coaster that you can watch and just enjoy yourself, you know. And, it, you know, it, it gets to the point where you're rooting for the bad guy at the end. And I think just sort of as a viewer your relationship with the characters is kind of fun to watch where you go, you know, you, 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 you kind of, your morals kind of lower as you watch it because of who these people are. And, and by the end, you're kind of, you know, it might surprise you who you're rooting for. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's very well put. I, it's definitely a fun watch and, uh, we definitely enjoyed it. And, uh, what other projects do you have coming up? Um, there's a chance I'll be shooting another one in the next few months. Uh, it's a little bit different, still horror. It's kind of like a, um, campus slasher, final destination, supernatural twist type of film. So a little bit bigger cast, more locations, kind of a broader scope, but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, you know, I think the script's really cool. I wrote it with my brother. Um, it, it seems like 99% that'll be the next thing I do. And uh, where can people uh, keep up on you uh, online? Um, my Instagram is the Brandon Christensen, and my Twitter handle is uh, the Brandon C eighty five. They had a character limit. <laughs> uh, yeah, again, Drew and I are big fans of Superhost, and everybody should definitely check it out on Shutter. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you, and hopefully, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. It was awesome. Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. Thanks to Brandon Christensen for joining us today. Again, we can't stress enough to make sure you watch this film. And if you got to this far and haven't watched it yet, we told you multiple times now, so shame on you. And make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at HighOnHorror420. You can email us at HighOnHorror420 at gmail.com. And check out our website, HighOnHorror.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter while you're there and you can get our guest announcements and newest episodes delivered directly into your inbox. And we got to thank Josh for editing this episode especially. Uh, Drew and I went a little too hard into paint and got a little too baked. And uh, he had a lot of editing on his hands with this episode. Uh, well, that'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Bye, everybody.